This podcast contains strong language and graphic depictions of criminal offenses. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite listening platform and share us with your friends. Now, let's get on with our cast introductions and jump right into the case. This is David. This is Josiah. Hey, I'm Hannah. Hey, guys, it's Sarah. My name's Nathan. And I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, a.k.a. The Odd One. Sarah, yes, you have something to say. Guys, it's Tanner's birthday. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Tanner. Don't you. sing the entire song, please. Happy birthday, birthday to you. It's just gonna, it we all know you're going to cut it. Happy birthday, dear Tanner. Happy birthday to you. Thank you so much, it's everyone. Birthday, Even everyone. I don't want to offend you guys, but I got you guys deep in my ear canal. So, <laughs> and it, I bet it sounded it great. Was, it was... It was Okay, at the beginning, <laughs> but you definitely beginning. you definitely helped yourself at the end there. I, I was because of my keys. So. I, I mean, that's happy birthday was for you. So close to buying party hats for all of us to wear during this episode. Murder party hats. Murder party Wait, hats. Sarah, no, there are party hats. We're wearing them right now. You're right. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh yeah, <laughs> mine's like three feet tall. It's huge. It's like Doug Demodome. <laughs> it's, it's the Doug Demodome murder hat. Murder Doug birthday Demo? party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Demo? Doug Demodome murder <laughs> hat. <laughs> oh, I oh like God. that a lot. Okay. Yes, it is my birthday. And even though I don't like celebrating my birthday, I am glad you brought that up because... Well, actually, first... <laughs> Where is everyone from? Jeshbirna. No. <laughs> You're from Ohio. Born or grew up? Answer however you would like. I just tell me where you're from. Nashville. Columbus, Pencil- Ohio. Oh. Pennsylvania. Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Chicago suburbs. And I am from Spokane, Washington. And before like before we jump into the case, I just want to say that Spokane is a really nice town and nothing bad ever happens there. Okay. That's a lie. <laughs> it's good um, Everything happens in Spokane. November twenty second, nineteen ninety seven, Spokane, Washington. The year I was born. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The joke was that it's in Spokane that I just said was perfect and nothing bad happens. Gotcha. But that is why uh, you bring up my birthday is great. Today we're talking about my hometown. Yay! November 22nd, 1997, Spokane, Washington. 34-year-old... Oh, wait, sorry. Real quick, I want to backtrack. The story takes place in Spokane. Uh, Because of that, I don't have any personal connections to this case. However, I do know people who were in town 
like family members who lived in Spokane when this case was going on. And periodically I will be mentioning what they experienced while living in the town. And you said December? I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, November 22nd. November. Okay. 1997, Spokane, Washington. 34-year-old Linda Mabin and her friend Brian had made plans to have lunch together. She didn't show up at the agreed-upon time, and Brian began to get worried because of a previous conversation they had. Linda Mabin was a sex worker. She was one of the many women who worked the streets of Spokane, particularly the infamous East Sprague Avenue. Known for its seedy characters and high volume of sex workers. Spokane is a smaller community, not a large city, but definitely not a one-horse town either. In fact, here, I'm going to send you a picture, two pictures of Spokane right now. They got mountains. Wow, it's really pretty. Look at all the trees. It is very pretty. Spokane is a smaller community, not a large city, but definitely not a one-horse town either. Small enough, though, that in the fall of 1997, people began realizing that something had been bubbling under the surface. A killer lurked the streets of Spokane and picked his prey right off East Sprague Avenue. Women had been disappearing semi-regularly, and some of their bodies were being found dumped into brush and empty lots like trash. All sex workers with high-risk lifestyles. Many in the community didn't care about these women, but Linda Mabin, being a sex worker herself, did care. She was scared. She had last talked with her friend Brian about her theories of which Johns she think could be the Spokane serial killer. She also told Brian about her sinking feeling that she could be the next victim. And now, here Brian sits, alone at lunch with his friend, nowhere to be found. Brian drives to her apartment and bangs on her door. He sighs in relief as Linda opens the door and apologizes for sleeping past their plans. Brian gave her some time to get ready before they went back to lunch, and on their way out, Linda spotted a John that she was fond of. This John pulled up in his pristine, white, 1977 Corvette. Linda told Brian she wanted to go on this date really quick and then she would be back for their lunch plans. Brian watched Linda Mabin get in the passenger seat of the white Corvette and drive away. Sometime later, Brian saw the Corvette again and the driver told him that Linda had decided to go out to East Sprague and work the streets. Brian never saw Linda again. The next time anyone would see her, police would be recovering her body from the 4800 block of East 14th Avenue in Spokane with a single gunshot wound to the head and plastic bags wrapped around it. Linda Mabin's worst fears had been realized. She became another victim of Robert Lee Yates Jr., the Spokane serial killer. Mm-hmm. I didn't that's realize that's where he was name. from. Yeah, I've heard that name. Yeah. Also, Yates. first time probably that we have ever had like the name of this yes this story is uh you're being given the killer's perspective kind of interesting i don't think there's any other way to do a serial killer case sure i was gonna say this is also like the biggest one like case we've dealt with yet i feel you know since the last serial killer was a very unsuccessful serial killer (laughs) yes in fact never made it to serial at all yes yeah he sucked (laughs) At, at sucking yes he sucked um, I just sent you his picture. Hopefully, it's coming through. Yep. Let me know oh, when it. you guys got it. He is not a cutie. 
<laughs> Does he need to be? Well, it would help him being a serial killer. <laughs> help with what? Wouldn't it help us all? It would not okay. with being a serial killer, but like take Ted Bundy as an example. Like being attractive would help you as a serial killer. Well, he oh, it helps in everything. All of his victims were were sex workers, so he Men paid them. Oh, I guess. I, was say it's I guess if you're six foot, if you're looks. doing that. Also, I don't find him like attractive. I don't see it. Who Ted Bundy? Yeah, I don't think he looks that good. Okay, honestly. not my okay, type, but Bundy's, I can totally okay, see Ted why. Ted Bundy in the seventies, like that's a good-looking dude. Are you sure his eyebrows like? I I yeah, he's got a unibrow. Yeah, it's, this, it, Nathan, this podcast Nathan, for this Ted conversation was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really I. No, he's Ted not. Bundy, you're hot. Everybody, check out our Instagram, the Odd One Pod, and tell us in the comments if you think Ted Bundy's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I hate him. I wish I had that on replay. <laughs> oh, I will have it on replay. <laughs> I meant the visual that we just saw. Oh. Check out our website Pond to download replay. what I just said as your next ringtone. <laughs> oh. God damn People it. do that anymore? No. You know, our I'm fans do. Okay, well, I'm done. Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Lee fucking damn it Robert Lee <laughs> it's the fact Robert that Lee, <laughs> fucking damn it. the fact that it made you laugh was great okay. oh. Robert Lee Yates Jr. was born on May 27th 1952 in Oak Harbor Washington from the moment he was born he was linked by bloodline to violence when his father robert senior was just a child young robert senior's mother novella killed her husband with an axe robert yates senior grew up in tennessee before moving to oak harbor washington allegedly at the age of six robert yates jr was sexually abused by his 11 year old neighbor and when he himself was 11 he was linked to having started a house fire but robert jr was never charged or officially accused of this crime like many serial killers robert jr also spent his childhood harming and killing small animals robert yates had anything but a typical childhood I've said it once. You, I'll say it again. Arson, the gateway crime you to murder. Are, I thought that was a joke at first, but now we are nine episodes in, and you're correct. Thank a you. Theme. Do you know where in Tennessee, by the way? No, I do not know. Okay, I'm uncertain. I just thought that was interesting because here I am in Tennessee. In Tennessee, yeah. From right. you know, I'd like to make a confession, odd one. <laughs> uh, yes, this. Uh, no, we're waiting for the season finale for me to talk about my murders. When he was 22, Robert Lee Yates married Linda Brewer in 1974, who had become pregnant with his first child. In 1975, Yates got work as a prison guard at the prison in Walla Walla, Washington. Oh, really. <laughs> Uh, Walla, have you guys ever heard of that? No. Well, heard okay, of Walla Walla? I think I think but. it's the fact that you say Walla Walla and then Washington. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, Walla Walla Washington. It sounds Walla, like you Walla, kind Washington. of have like a stutter Walla, and you're like Walla Walla Washington. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know? Not a stutter, but you just did. But I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? It'd be like if it was called like Texas, Texas, Texas. That's but they don't really have to be Washa Washa Washington. Not Shut up! Um, be like Tella Tella Texas. <laughs> I don't like Texas. <laughs> he got a job <laughs> at the prison in Walla Walla, Washington. <laughs> 
but only worked there for about three to six months. This is the same prison where my late grandfather would be incarcerated a few years later. No way. Very quickly into their marriage, Linda learned that her husband had a dark side to him when she discovered a hole that he had drilled into the attic. When she put her eye up to the hole, she realized that it was the perfect peephole to watch the next door neighbors have sex. Ew. July 13th, 1975, exactly one year before my mother was born across the state in Spokane, 21-year-old Patrick Oliver and his close friend, 22-year-old Susan Savage, were spending time together in Mill Creek Park in Walla Walla. This park was more of a hiking area than a residential park, and near where these two friends were enjoying the day was Robert Lee Yates. Yates was in the area for target practice when he came upon the two friends, and it's unclear how he met them or what exactly happened that led to him attacking them, but Patrick Oliver was shot three times with one bullet piercing his heart and Susan Savage was shot twice, one bullet through the shoulder and one through the head. Robert then proceeded to take off Susan's clothes and pose her body in a sexual manner on top of Patrick's body. Mm. Yates then covered both dead bodies with brush and anything else he found around the area and fled. This double homicide became Yates's first confirmed murders. Police discovered no leads and had no idea that Robert Lee Yates even existed. By the time the corpses were discovered, it was unclear to police whether either of the bodies had been sexually assaulted. On October 4th, 1977, now a 25-year-old father of two, Robert Lee Yates Jr. enlisted in the Army. By 1980, he began to train as an Army pilot in Fort Rucker, Alabama. Over the next few years, he became a highly regarded and skilled helicopter pilot and was stationed in Germany periodically through to 1984, by which time he now had a total of four children due to his regular visits home. In 1984, he became an instructor at Fort Rucker in Alabama and continued to travel around the U.S. and the globe for his service. July 7th, 1988, 23-year-old Stacy Elizabeth Hahn met 36-year-old Robert Yates while she was working as a prostitute in Skagit County, Washington. Yates was on one of his visits home from the military. The details of how the two met is unclear, but what happened after is undeniable. Months later, on December 28, 1988, Stacy Elizabeth Hahn's rotting corpse was discovered outside Mount Vernon. She had one fatal gunshot wound to the head, and at the time, police initially believed her to be a victim of the Green River Killer, but Robert confessed to murdering her years later. For three years, from 1988 to 1991, Yates was stationed in Germany. According to the podcast Serial Killers, Yates is considered a person of interest by German police for 26 unsolved murder cases oh my gosh his involvement if any is still being investigated years later on august 10th 1995 the body of a 19 year old transgender woman named Tarian corbett was discovered in close proximity to fort rucker alabama where yates worked at the time it's not known for sure but it's possible that Tarian corbett worked as a prostitute which could explain how she would have come across robert yates she was shot in the face several times by a 45 caliber pistol. 
though it is also uncertain if Yates owned such a pistol at this time. Yates had never been charged for this murder, but remains a suspect, so Tarion Corbett does not make his official victims list. Her murder, as well as Robert Yates being considered a person of interest for 26 other murders in Germany, does beg the question, are there any victims out there that no one has any idea about? Probably. That's a lot of people. Are most of his victims women? He only killed women, as far as anybody knows, except for the first double homicide where one of them was a dude. Mm-hmm. Which, that almost just seems like he had to. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. It's, the, the double homicide is very different from uh, everything else that he does later on. I mean, typically, a serial killer's first kill is kind of a test run for him. Yeah, until it's kind he of, out what kind he of wonky a little bit. If that's his first kill. Because it's yeah. interesting to me that that was uh, 75 it was so out of the blue. We like really don't know anything about it. And it much sounds at like all. it was professionally done. Yeah, yeah it's kind of. I mean, he posed her naked on top of yeah. uh, the the guy she was with, and yeah, it it. I don't know. It just feels it. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't his first. And it also seems weird to me that it's 1975, and then he doesn't kill again for years, which you know that has happened before, yeah. but. It's just interesting, especially when you consider here's 27 murder cases that he's also a suspect in. I'm guessing his work and the travel is what really covered his tracks for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, no DNA in the 70s right. until the mid 80s and it all is, that. It is interesting the similarities between him and the Green River Killer that they thought he was. Yes. Because yeah, it's actually very similar. It sounds like it's primarily prostitutes, women, which is the Green River Killer's MO. Yep. 1996. Robert Lee Yates packs up the family Chevy van and his beloved white 1977 Corvette that I'm sending you a picture of right now. He purchased the 1977 Corvette two years prior. The family then make the move to Spokane, Washington. Here, the Yates family settles into a quiet neighborhood called the South Hill. This very neighborhood would later be my neighborhood. No way. Where me and my younger brothers grew up. No way. <laughs> oh. Tanner Even- actually killed Yates. <laughs> he- I killed him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was walking down the street and it was like an anime fight. Like he stopped in the middle and his like fingers were twitching. And I was five and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Tanner was absolutely jacked as an anime five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like see his house and stuff? Do you uh, know okay, I'll was? say this. The South Hill is a pretty big neighborhood. Okay. I actually couldn't figure out where his house was from research, which is probably good yeah. for whoever lives there now. Uh, I couldn't figure out where it was. I just know it was in the South Hill and I lived in the South Hill. That's crazy. Yeah. Even with their new home, the Yateses brought their family issues with them to the South Hill of Spokane. One day in 1996, the 19-year-old Yates daughter found an address book that belonged to her father. Inside was a list of names, female names, and phone numbers to go with them. She went down the list, calling each of the women and asking how they knew her dad, to which they responded that they didn't and promptly hung up. When confronted by this, Robert Yates told his daughter that he was buying car parts from the women. 
The listeners okay. couldn't see my face, but it was skeptical as hell. <laughs> like, what? That's, yeah, the exact He's name cheating. of the look. Mrs. Yates then confronted her husband about this address book, as well as his other suspicious behavior, constantly taking money out of ATMs, finding pornographic magazines depicting orgies mm -hmm. in his space, with more pieces of paper with women's names written down. He denied everything and told his wife to get a job if she wanted more money so badly. The couple, <laughs> the couple also began having trouble in the bedroom, and 44-year-old Robert Yates began taking Viagra. Apparently, when later asked why she didn't leave the marriage, Mrs. Yates responded that she grew up old-fashioned and believed that when you married, you were married. Like fair, Once but again. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Eh, I have nothing to say. Yeah, fair. So, do you hear about when Viagra was like new to the market? Uh -uh. Like, people were like <laughs> going up and like asking, like, can you get it over the counter? And the pharmacist was like, I mean, yeah, if I take two. Oh. <laughs> oh. Josiah, what are you on to Nathan, uh, make a note right here. Will you edit out this episode? <laughs> this entire episode? That's an old joke about Viagra. Sorry. I hate that I didn't get it either. Like, my brain was just like... <laughs> it, it was like the, the hamster in yeah. your brain running really fast. He's like really overweight. Yeah. It's like nothing's happening. And there's like smoke coming out of my ears. Literally, I don't I don't want that in the podcast. I just wanted to take that opportunity to tell the joke. Quickly upon their move to Spokane after leaving the military, Robert Yates got a job at the Kaiser Aluminum Plant. He also quickly became a regular on East Sprague Avenue, the main hub in Spokane for sex workers. He rolled down East Sprague in his white Corvette searching for his next victim. May 27th, 1996 was the last day anyone saw 38-year-old Shannon Zelinsky. She was a prostitute working East Sprague when Robert picked her up that day, and it was his birthday. Yates shot <laughs> Zelensky twice in the head. Four days after Zelensky was killed, about seven miles from East Sprague Avenue where he picked her up, I was born in Deaconess Hospital on May 31st, 1996. Robert, <laughs> oh, I just thought it was interesting that a woman's dead and like seven miles away a few days later. I'm a baby. Oh, yes. baby. Robert Yates dumped Zelensky's body in a field near a bus stop where she was later discovered after decaying in the sun for almost three weeks. Oh, gosh. Police knew the date of her death by determining which life cycle the maggots infesting her body were in. Oh, no. Yates, again, was nowhere on the police's radar and was not identified as a suspect. Zelensky, living in a high-risk lifestyle, had recently ripped off a well-known drug dealer in the area who refused to take a lie detector test about her murder. She was also set to potentially act as a key witness in the case against Jojo Andrews, a crack dealer who was charged with a double homicide. Police had many other avenues of investigation to go down for her death, and that led them far away from Yates, giving him the room he needed to keep killing. Mm. 
In the fall of 1996, Robert Yates didn't come home one night, and the next morning, he had to explain to his wife that the blood all over the back of their van was from a dog he had accidentally run over and brought to the vet. Whether or not this story is true has never been determined. If the story is a cover for another one of Yates' murders, police have no idea who the victim could be. Why would they not look into that more? Well, they did. There, there's just that story happened and there's no like body or missing person or anything that fits that timeline of him coming home with blood all over the back of the van. So, And also, like back in this time, you just have to rule out DNA. Yeah. Like it's not you can take a swab, send it off and be like, oh, there's something to follow here. There's just there's nothing. Yeah. And 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 this is a story that he later told too. Yeah. Like police never got that blood yes. ever. There were there wasn't anything. There was only mm-hmm. like, well, if he had blood this day, uh, let's look at the potential people, and the list is empty. So if it was a murder, he was covering up. No one has any idea who this victim is. While I was working on this episode, my parents told me that my uncle worked at a car dealership on Sprague Avenue as a teen. Every day, he would see the same girl working the street from his job, and then one day, he didn't see her again. While I am unsure which girl this was, my uncle later found out that she was one of Yates' victims. That's so sad. That's crazy. Ouch. August 16th, 1997. Jennifer Joseph was working her usual corner on East Sprague Avenue when she got into a white Corvette for a date with Robert Lee Yates. He drove her to a secluded area, and the two had sex. Yates then pulled his gun from under his seat and shot Jennifer Joseph twice in the head. That night, at the Red Top Motel, Jennifer's boyfriend, Marlon, became convinced that she had finally ditched him. She disappeared for days at a time before, but whatever it was about her not coming back this particular night made him certain that he had been dumped. Days later, he left Spokane heartbroken. And 10 days after her murder, on August 26, 1997, Jennifer Joseph's body was discovered in a field hidden under brush. That very same day, police discovered the body of Heather Hernandez in an overgrown lot on East Springfield Avenue. She had been seen working East Sprague Avenue three days prior, getting into a white Chevy van. Two of Robert Yates' victims were discovered on the same day, and this made police finally raise their eyebrows. They began to hunt down the white Chevy van, and more distinctly, the white Corvette. Officers were told to keep an eye out for these vehicles. September 24th, 1997. Spokane Police Officer Corey Terman was on patrol going down East Sprague Avenue. He spotted a white Corvette, and knowing that detectives were searching for that exact vehicle, he watched the driver and waited for an opportunity to stop him. That opportunity came when the white Corvette made a turn without using their signal, and Officer Terman threw on his lights and pulled over Robert Yates. Officer Terman realized that not only did the vehicle match the description, but Yates also matched the description of the person last seen with Jennifer Joseph. Officer Terman took notes, writing down Robert's name, pointing out the cleanliness of his car. When Officer Terman wrote down the type of vehicle, however, he made a mistake and listed the car as a white Camaro instead of a Corvette. Bruh moment. That's a bruh moment. Officer Terman let Yates go and submitted his report to detectives, 
who dismissed the report because it was the wrong kind of car. It's it's crazy. Like in all these cases that go unsolved for so long, like you're like, oh my gosh, of course that happened. But it's like, those are the little mistakes, innocent as they may be, that allowed these cases to go on until they become infamous. Yeah, you all, you pointed it out and I was bringing it up. Like all these really crazy cases are the perfect storm. It's, yeah. It's, it's for some reason the universe lines up for all the wrong stuff to misnaming happen. misnaming a car, misnaming this or not identifying that. It's, it's so frustrating. 29-year-old Darla Sue Scott had been battling drug addiction for some time now. Apparently, she had even gotten pregnant in the hopes that it would keep her from going back to drugs and working the streets. But it seems this plan did not keep her on the straight and narrow like she had hoped. She had fallen back into prostitution and had told her on-again, off-again boyfriend about a particular John who she didn't very much like. This guy would get very aggressive with her, but she put up with it because he paid her well and he gave her drugs. One night, she got into this John's white... Corvette. Don't know why I said Corvette like it was two different words, but she got into his white Corvette. Her body was discovered by someone walking their dog on November 1st, 1997. November 22nd, 1997, 34-year-old Linda Mabin put her lunch plans with her friend Brian on pause for a quick date with Robert Yates. Her body wasn't discovered until April 1st, 1998. That's the story we opened up with. Yeah. This episode. Over in Tacoma, Washington, Robert Lee Yates had been away from Spokane for work. The body of a 24-year-old, Melinda Mercer, was discovered on December 7th, 1997. Her corpse was nude with four plastic bags wrapped around her head, similar to how most of Yates' other victims were found. Melinda Mercer had been shot in the head three times. It's uncertain exactly how Mercer came into contact with Yates. Melinda Mercer was from Seattle, 45 minutes north of Tacoma. Police could also tell that she was not killed where her body was dumped and theorized that she had been killed closer to Seattle and then brought to Tacoma. Police suspected that this murder was connected to those happening in Spokane. December 16th, 1997. Robert Yates was back home in Spokane to spend the holidays with his family. On this day in particular, he went out to go Christmas shopping for them. Also on his itinerary was East Sprague Avenue. He pulled down the road in his white Corvette, as he often did, and came across 36-year-old Sean L. Johnson. He called her over to his car, she got in, and he drove to a discreet location. Midway through sex, Yates shot her twice in the head and wrapped two plastic bags around her face. Oh my gosh. He dumped her body just barely down the road from where he had dumped Darla Sue Scott's body the month prior. Sean L. Johnson's body was discovered two days after Robert Yates dumped her there. With the discovery of now six potentially linked murder cases, police formed the Serial Killer Homicide Task Force. Sadly, the most difficult job for the task force was getting the public involved and willing to help. On multiple occasions, the task force had to ask the press to stop referring to the murders as the prostitute murders. The people of Spokane didn't seem to care much about these women going missing because of the lifestyle they lived. In my own research, I came across a YouTube comment made seven days ago from when we are recording this episode today that said, quote, I live here in Spokane. Out of all the horrific things Yates did, he managed to somewhat clean Sprague up. 
You don't see prostitutes lined up and down Sprague these days. Hasn't been that way since this case. What the? End quote. Bro, he ain't an angel. (laughs) Out of curiosity, Tanner, what? Because I know it's illegal in Washington, but what is the general attitude towards prostitution in Washington? Um... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. Okay, I, cool. I only, I left there when I was That's 18. Good. So I think I never had time to like wonder about that. Never, never had time dabbled to in that, that out. Yeah. I, was like, ah. I didn't get into, I didn't, I didn't get into murder and, and true crime stories until recently. But I mean, if, uh, <laughs> if that comment has any, is any indication of the feelings toward prostitution, then yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, people are pretty gruff and uh, and uh, <laughs> assholes. Calloused. And, uh, Calloused is a good word for Spokane. I'll say that. I like Spokane. Do you? Anyway, <laughs> I don't know about that. that is I said I like it. That's not a strong love or anything. Uh, shout out anybody in Spokane who's listening. You understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Christmas Eve, 1997. Struggling heroin addict Sean McClenahan got into Robert Yates' car. Midway through her performing oral sex on him, Yates shot McClenahan twice in the head. Which seems... Okay, what? Risky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Let's not forget somebody died, but holy shit. Like... (laughs) So did he, wow, wow, how? how do you do like, that? I'm like assuming injuring he always himself. had sex before killing them. It seems that way. I don't know for every single case. I'm not sure. I think they don't know for every single case. Um, but his MO, from what we do know, was have some sort of sexual contact. And then either midway through that or after and oftentimes midway through, kill them. It's the midway Which, through that, like. Which is very common for sexual acts to be tied to, like, violence for these serial killers. In one of the stories uh, that comes up, uh, it's mentioned that he uh, experienced, um, uh, like, he couldn't get it up. And I think that that might be a part of his Mm. choosing to kill them in the middle of... Like proving he the was term there. you're looking for is erectile dysfunction. Yes, yeah. Sorry, I don't know why I couldn't uh, think think of it, but I I think it's it's uh, comes from a point of self rage about that. Right. That probably led nice. to things being in kind of happening that, in the not middle. being the source, just fuel on the fire. Right. Yeah. yeah I was gonna and, say that's a bit dramatic. And at least part of the reason for you know that he attributes to his own. Right. self-hate or whatever that makes him so angry he's like we're not done but i'm done bam yeah it could also be a climax for him <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe he never had sex with the bodies I after i know that True. i know he never did anything with the bodies after at least as far as anybody that's, knows yeah, i meant the murder could be the hiding for him. right and i mean yeah. it it is i i yeah. would say yeah uh that makes sense to me um but anyways <laughs> Yates shot McClenahan twice in the head. He wrapped her head in two plastic bags and dumped her corpse into a ditch in an empty lot on East 14th Street. Sean McClenahan's body was not alone in that ditch. When Yates dumped McClenahan's corpse down there, it landed on top of 31-year-old Lori Wason's body. A few days prior, Yates had shot Wason in the head 
twice and as usual proceeded to wrap it in plastic he's getting a bit lazy with his like drop off things I don't know he just he gets just comfortable just like well this yeah, is his the MO spot. is to just throw them in the street literally uh, he's gotten comfortable yeah I think usually the downfalls are like oh I know I can get away with this and so they get lazy um, especially to the point where it's like I'm dumping this body literally on top of another body that's what that, I mean like, that I knew was already there like, like <laughs> I don't know and they how risky just, is that to like, go like, back to where ex- exactly I feel like the police could just be like well this is the spot let's yeah. just sit here and see who shows up you right. know if and he's I, and continuing to do that of course they hadn't discovered the first body at that point but like still weird that he's like same place doesn't matter who cares yeah and just, you know throwing know. them in there police would discover both of these corpses a few days later mm. and 50 yards from these two bodies laid linda maybin's rotting corpse yeah. who had another three months to wait before being oh, discovered The very next morning, on Christmas Day, December 25th, 1997, Robert Lee Yates picks up 41-year-old Sonny Gail Oster. Yates shot her twice in the head, wrapped it in plastic, and threw her into a ditch off the side of a road, where she would not be discovered until February 8th, 1998. When did the murder happen? Christmas. Uh, December 25th, 97. And she wasn't found until February 8th, 98. What was he doing with his time that like he was just driving around on Christmas? So he, I kind of skipped over his like career um, a little bit. So he was in the military. Um, There was that murder of the transgender woman that I mentioned. Around that time, he quit the military after 18 years of service. And from what I know, at least at that point, after 20 years is when you're eligible for like certain benefits and retirement and stuff. So some people also think that that unconfirmed murder with the transgender woman uh, is bolstered. The the fact that he did it is bolstered by the fact that he dipped the military, you know, yeah, like right after years that. years away from like a lifetime of right. support. But um, because of his service, he still got about like a passive 20K a year from the military. Okay. I know that. And then he also worked at... Um, the Kaiser aluminum plant. And I think at this point he joined the national guard. So that's part of the reason why, when I said he was in Tacoma for work, when he killed that other girl, uh, he was like teaching a class or something or like in training for the national guard. I'm not exactly sure, but that was, that's like what he currently has going on is working for Kaiser aluminum, part of the national guard. And then he also makes 20 K passive income. Granted, he's the only breadwinner, but yeah. he's like set himself up to kind of just be a globe trotting solo guy. Yeah, so. I know, but he's still married at this point, isn't he? Yeah, and we'll get into the the place where that marriage sits in a minute. Uh, but it's not great. It's kind of one of those she's at home with the kids and she knows he's off doing whatever. But as long as he's not there, she doesn't have to deal with him. Okay. Because so I was going to say, murders. where do they fit in timeline? I'll say I don't exactly know. I don't know anything about any of the unconfirmed cases. I wasn't. I tried to research like which cases they think he's involved in. But what's funny about this uh, about Robert Lee Yates is is uh, like research wise, there's like just enough to know the the main story, but beyond that, not a lot. Interesting. 
and I wonder if that's because Spokane's not like you know the biggest city on the map. <laughs> um, but as far as any of the potential German murders, I do not know. And he never talked about them or nope. confessed to them. Nope. Yeah, so they don't know. He's a person of interest for those, but uh, they're not sure if he's just choosing not to share that information. He's still alive? Yes. Okay. Around the end of May 1998, 47-year-old Robert Yates picked up 43-year-old Melody Ann Murphin. She regularly worked East Sprague Avenue, and she was reported missing on June 4th, 1998. Yates shot her twice in the head, and police weren't able to find a body. However, this disappearance began to finally strike a chord with the media and the public. Before this case became the talk of the town, Yates had made a decision that would eventually lead the police right back to him. On May 4th, 1998, Yates sold his precious white 1977 Corvette to Rita Jones for about $9,000. She was impressed with the car's pristine condition and that Robert had even put in a new carpet before selling it to her. Sadly, this did not stop Robert from continuing his murderous rampage. July 3rd, 1998. This was the last day anyone saw 47-year-old Michelin Durning. Robert Lee Yates killed her with one gunshot to the head, and her body was found in a vacant lot under an old hot tub cover four days later. This lot was right by the Kaiser Aluminum plant, where Yates had been working for the last two years. The police went to Kaiser and questioned all of their employees, including Robert Lee Yates. After being questioned, police didn't suspect him of anything, and he came across friendly and helpful. (laughs) So the second direct run-in with cops where, granted, they had no reason to suspect him in that interview. Fair fair enough. Um, I'll say that. But second time, direct contact with police, and he slips right through. August 1st, 1998. Shortly after midnight, Yates picked up 32-year-old Christine Smith in his white Chevy van. During their conversation, Christine jokingly asked Robert if he was the Spokane serial killer. Uh. He assured her that she was safe. Christine began performing oral sex on Robert, but he failed to get an erection. She could tell... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> made you laugh. She could tell that he was becoming more and more upset, and in the middle of everything, she felt a pain on the side of her head. She didn't realize what was going on until blood began to drip down her head. Somehow, Robert had shot her, and she didn't hear the gunshot go off. Christine wrestled her way out of the van, ran down the street to St. Luke's Rehab Center. She was helped to the hospital where doctors found a half inch long cut behind her left ear that they didn't even recognize as a gunshot wound initially. The bullet had barely grazed her. She did not go to police to report Robert for fear of being arrested for prostitution. Oh. How did she get away? She like freaked out when she was like, why am I bleeding? You have a gun. Oh my God, you have a gun. And he's probably like... Did I just fucking miss? Like, I I don't exactly know. I don't know the details. All I know is that... He's always had two gunshots to the head for the most part. Yeah, for the most part. Some of them have been one. One of them have been three. I know somebody that was around an accidental discharge, like, gun going off. And they remember thinking, like, why are my ears ringing? They didn't hear the shot. 
they heard the aftermath of the shot. That's so weird. Does anyone know? Do you well, know the science behind that? I, I don't. I know. I know. Like in war, there's like shell shock, and it's like when something so loud happens, like you don't experience it until after. But also, it's such a foreign like amount of volume that it's like the body probably protects itself to some degree with like adrenaline. And yeah, maybe. As it comes down, you hear this like almost like whistle or ringing. It's it's. I mean, and if he's shooting a gun in a pretty closed environment in a very small space, it's already a loud sound to mm-hmm. begin with. It's going to be extremely loud, probably to the, like like you said, to the point where it's so loud, you just straight up don't even hear it because your body is shocked. Mm-hmm. And like that damages mm-hmm. all the, your like oh, yeah. your cilia and all cilia that. And the ear, and, yeah. yeah, that's immediate, immediate uh, temporary threshold shift. And that's when your ears start ringing yep. and you just like can't yeah that makes sense it's and just no like, one can't tell he yeah, studied like audio <laughs> temporary temporarily like deafening is probably what happened to her but it's, it's still interesting to me though that she just straight up heard nothing yeah that that that's, that's interesting to what me. the person i said no like or the That's person you said no. <laughs> <laughs> Who said no? <laughs> what language is even that? <laughs> yeah, I know what you meant. Yeah, yeah me but too. yeah, that's I it. I, I've I've heard of like stuff like that before, but not like not quite like that. Where you would it's expect just, like, ringing. Or it's just something. like yeah, like oh, I'm bleeding. What? Like, yeah. I thought she like got stabbed or something. And, but it was still a gun. That's weird. He like failed. I, I mean, Another in, in interesting thing. Yeah. He's at like point blank. How did he miss? Right. Yeah. Right. And that's why it calls into question. That suck. The thing that I. But he that, couldn't even get it up. Yeah. That's that's what I was calling into question. Like I don't know if he if he had erectile dysfunction for all the other cases. Is it a case where, you know, maybe that's what happened every time and that didn't help his rage and everything when part of why he you know carried out everything or was that happening in that moment part of the reason why he fucked up yeah because that's the only story i have where it's like he had erectile dysfunction for the one time the girl got away it's also potential and discretionary advisory this is going to be incredibly disturbing uh it's also possible like the murder is so sexually gratifying to him that at this point he's so numb to actual sexual action that it takes the murder for him to even get started. Ew. That is gross, but that does make sense. Yeah, no, the progression throughout like all these murders, it could just get more and more that it gets closer to the start. Yeah. It's the same reason people progress in terms of sexual aggressiveness, even in just their consumption of sexual content. Yeah. Sorry. Fucked up dude. No, I <laughs> I feel like I've said more fucked up shit on the show. Back in Tacoma, Washington, Robert Yates killed 35-year-old Connie LaFontaine Ellis in the fall of 1998. She was found on October 13, 1998, with a single gunshot wound to the head wrapped in three plastic bags. As far as anyone knows, Connie was Robert Lee Yates's final victim. His 16th confirmed murder. Mm. November 10th, 1998. A police officer watched local sex worker Jennifer Robinson get into a Honda Civic. He followed the driver, Robert Yates, and pulled the Civic over when Yates began heading toward a more secluded location. 
Jennifer Robinson, worried about being arrested, told Yates to tell the officer that he works for her dad and that he had been asked to pick her up and bring her home. She promised she would back up his story. The officer did let them go, and Jennifer Robinson survived her encounter with Robert Lee Yates, who was likely too spooked to harm Jennifer if he was planning to initially. Police eventually came into contact with Rita Jones and wanted to talk to her about the white Corvette she had purchased. Tracing back the ownership to Yates, he was called in for questioning. September 15, 1999, Robert Lee Yates went to the police station sweating bullets. Police asked him about a previous traffic stop he had been involved in on East Sprague Avenue. They reminded Yates that he had been driving a white Camaro, but Yates corrected the officer, telling him that it was in fact a white Corvette. <laughs> when police asked for a blood sample, Yates denied their request and his name was quickly added to the suspect list for the first time. In the white Corvette now owned by Rita Jones, police discovered fibers that matched those found on Jennifer Joseph's body. In addition, police matched Jennifer's blood to blood smears found in the vehicle, as well as a loose button under the passenger seat matching her blouse. Her hair and more of her clothing was also found in the vehicle. This was finally enough to arrest Robert Lee Yates Jr., he didn't, like, vacuum the car before he sold it? Apparently it was super clean, but I think they, like, tore up the carpet and, okay. like... Because they... So they, like, searched the car, and then they got, like, a, a more in-depth warrant, and then months later they went back and, like, tore the car to pieces, I think is what happened. April 18th, 2000. Robert Yates is arrested on the suspicion of murdering Jennifer Joseph. DNA tests link him to her murder and also link him to DNA samples found on the bodies of Darla Scott, Lori Wason, and Linda Mabin. His fingerprints matched prints found on the plastic bags that were wrapped around McClenahan's head. He was charged with 13 counts of murder and one count of attempted first-degree murder. One of the most controversial decisions ever made in the city of Spokane was when Robert Lee Yates took a plea deal to avoid the death penalty. Mm. Yates pleaded guilty to all the charges against him, confessed to the murders, admitted to other murders that police weren't even aware of, and most importantly to police, led them to the body of Melody Ann Murphin. He told police that he had buried her at his own home in the South Hill neighborhood of Spokane. No! She was buried face up in a three foot deep grave right underneath his bedroom window. Ew. He put a flower bed over her shallow grave. It is unknown why he decided to bury her at his home, so differently than all of his other victims who he just left in ditches like trash. That's like some rear window stuff that he's doing. Yeah. You know that movie? I don't know what Open that is. Window. But or rear, no, rear window. with. Like, um, I've heard of that. Out. With Grace Kelly. It's an old Hitchcock it's film. Hitchcock, yeah. Oh, God, I, I, like, I suck. Like, Sorry, everybody. I've never seen a Hitchcock movie. I need to, though. I want to. Anyway, that's a, that's anyway he buries his wife. Sorry if you're going to watch this movie. Buries her in the flower bed, like right under his apartment building. Spoilers for a very, 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 very Super old movie. movie. Yeah, it's yeah. been Sorry. Yeah. decades. If you yeah. haven't seen it right now, you're a loser. <laughs> I can say that because I haven't seen it, and I'm a loser. Robert Lee Yates Jr., was sentenced to 408 years in prison. 
Marquette Pierce gets County, yeah. Pierce County prosecutors eventually withdrew their plea deal with Yates to try their own charges and successfully convicted him of two murders from their county on September 19, 2002. With this conviction, Yates was sentenced to death by lethal injection. The state Supreme Court rejected every appeal he made to overturn his conviction. However, in 2018, the state Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty violated the state constitution, and Robert Yates' sentence was commuted to life in prison. To this day, the Spokane serial killer is living out his days at the same prison in Walla Walla where he had once worked. If there are any other victims besides the confirmed 16, it is likely that we may never know. And that is the story of the killer on Sprague. Well, ain't that a full circle moment right there? Did you yeah. say that your grandfather was... My, my grandpa was incarcerated at Walla Walla, yes. At for, this... um, for robbery, I think. At the same time? No, no, no. Oh. So, uh, no, my I think my grandpa was incarcerated. He was incarcerated for seven years in like uh, 1970, like eight or nine. Gotcha. Um, but Yates only worked there for it uh, during 1975 for like three months. Gotcha. Like he, he got the job and quit like immediately. Also, isn't Walla Walla like one of those really, really old prisons? I believe so. I know it's, it's one of like those like notorious. So is the Lewisburg Pen- Penitentiary? Shout out to Lewisburg. Huh? PA. Is it a private or public prison? <laughs> I don't know. I am uncertain. Mm, cool. I don't really like this guy. No, he sucks. <laughs> All the people we talk about. What suck. really? I like this guy. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> pretty likable. Serial He's going. not handsome. <laughs> 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 he can't get it up. <laughs> And he starts fires. Thanks, everybody. I'm Sarah. I'm the odd one. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. That's a huge help toward allowing us to keep the podcast going and eventually make it a weekly show. And we very much appreciate your support. If you want to see photos from this case as well as our sources, check out the link in the description. Until next time, I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, the odd one, out.